thank you. It is such a blessing and a privilege to be here this morning. I'm rocked by the worship set this morning. Our Lord is great, isn't it? We sing, you are my everything, and I will worship you. That's exactly the message we are going to hear this morning. I don't know if, if we realize that, but what is going on right now, uh, right here this morning, is, is such a great miracle. And at the same time, so often so neglected. The fact that every one of you is right here this morning. Think, think for a minute. Think for a minute about who you are and what you came here to do this morning. We sing that song. The Lamb of God died on the bloody cross to save sinners like us. To redeem a people for himself. And we are right here this morning worshiping him. Think for a minute. If I think for myself for 15 years ago where I was, I was such a mess. I was a sinner and sinning in so many ways. So far from the Lord. One of the only times I, I spoke in English in front of a crowd was in high school. And I was so intoxicated that the teacher gave me a chair and I needed to be sitting while giving my oral presentation. But the Lord happened and changed everything. <laughs> and here I am today. And the Lord is doing the same thing in, in each one of your lives. Maybe you are here this morning, you think about the, the time before you came to know Christ and about the lives you were living and about where you were heading. And you are here this morning. That's the greatest miracle, being saved by grace, by the Lord Almighty, sending His only Son to die for us. And we worship Him this morning. And we say, you are worthy. And we say, you are my everything. Do you realize how great a God it is to do that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who received glory from all eternity in heaven, came down. And died on the cross to save us. We sang that song that he gave us new life. The Lord has taken a very bad person. A vile sinners. Has cleansed him. And filled him with life. And he did that with a lot of lives in this place this morning. What will we do with this life? What is this life that the son of God has given to give you life. What will you do with this life that he has given you? Today we want to look in the text at what a life lived totally for the glory of God looks like. And we want to be encouraged by the example of the Apostle Paul. And just looking at him and, and seeing how great a God we serve. I don't know for you, but I don't want to waste my life. I want this life to count and I know, I know that my works are not what brings me to heaven. I know that my works are not what will give me access to eternity. I know it's Christ and only Him. Only through His blood. But I don't want to waste the life that was given me, casting the Savior, casting the Son of God is on the cross. Are you with me? What do you want to do with your life? This question from Leonard Ravenhill always stuck with me after reading his book on revival. He said, 
Is what you are living for worth Christ dying for? Ouch. <laughs> we hear something like that and we think, is there really anything that was worth Christ dying for? <laughs> the question just makes you think about what am I doing with my life? And today we'll look at the book of Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24 to 29. And if you don't have a Bible, please just uh, lift up your hand right now. Someone will uh, share a Bible with you. If you don't own a Bible, it will be a gift for you. You can bring it home and read it and devour it and hear the Word of God through the Bible. So today we want to look at what a life lived totally for Christ looks like. And I invite you to open your Bible in the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. We will begin right there. Um, and we want to ask the Lord to help us, to equip us with wisdom as we hear his word this morning. To just talk to us. I don't want any of you leaving this place saying, I feel so condemned by the word of God. I feel so condemned. I look at what the preacher said this morning and I read in the Bible and I just feel like, like, yeah, like condemned and there's big pressure on my life. No, I want you to feel the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit talking to your heart. Saying you need to conform to what the Lord is saying in his word. But I want, the Holy Spirit is doing that by giving you new affections. I truly believe that. The Lord is coming in your life and giving you desire to obey His word. That's what He says in Jeremiah. When He says, I will give you a new heart that will love my commands. And that's what we want to, the Lord to do in our life this morning. So let me just begin by praying. And we'll jump right into the text this morning. Will you pray for me, uh, with me also, please? Father, we come before you. With a humble heart, you say in your word, in your word that the one you're looking at is the one who tremble at your word. And, and that's us this morning. That's a lot of people in this place. You heard, you heard the voices while we were singing to you, Father. You heard the voices saying, you are my everything. And Father, I just pray that this will be so true for all of us in this place. So true that you are really and truly our everything and that we will live our life to glorify you, to worship you, to declare your glory to all the nations and to all the people around us in our working place, in our family, with our friends, with our neighborhood. Father, that you will change our heart and you will make us live really a life that counts. We don't want to mess with the life that cost your only son his Father, talk to us. We are so needy. I am so needy this morning. I need you to come and to work. And we know that you are the one who's doing it. Like it, it's already been prayed this morning. Please do what only you can do. Talk to us. We believe that the Bible is your word. That when we read it, you are really talking to us. And I pray that this book this morning... Your Holy Spirit will take it as a sword once again and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians 1, verse 24. We will see uh, this morning through the text four characteristics of a life of a faithful minister of Christ. That's what I think Paul is and that's what we want to imitate. A life lived fully for the glory of God. So verse 24, the first uh, thing I want you to say is that a faithful minister of Christ lives a life of joyful sacrifices. In verse 24 he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. All right, right in the beginning, can we just say that this is a crazy thing to say? I rejoice in my sufferings. <laughs> Those two words are not going together most of the time. Paul says that he is re really and truly rejoicing for his suffering. And when we read a text like that, we say, okay, th that's a hard one to swallow. Seriously, I thought that, that people that love to suffer were not really sane. Like, it, it's, it scared me a little bit. If you love to suffer and you love to beat yourself up, that's, you need to talk to someone about that. But Paul is saying what here? He's rejoicing in his suffering. And we need to understand what he's talking about. You're not supposed to love that. And, and here, it's, did Paul just saying that he loved to take a beating? Is he saying that he, he's loving that when people come around him and begin to beat him with a stick and, and, and put him in jail and all of this? That's not what he's saying. But just to give you a clue about what the sufferings of Paul was, I want to read you a passage in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 28, you can note this and read it later. I will just read it quickly for you. He's talking about the suffering in which he's rejoicing. Okay, listen to that. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. He could have stopped there and will say, that's a lot. But that's not the end. He says, Five times I received at the ends of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from river, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Do you notice a pattern here? Danger, danger, danger. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. I rejoice in all of this. Can you say that's a hard thing to say? I don't know what you are going through right now, but can you say, it's so hard right now, but I'm so joyful through all of that. What is... Paul referring to when he says that is not, he's not saying that he loved to be beaten. What he's talking about, and here in Colossians especially, he's talking about being beaten, put to jail, but, but how can he rejoice in that? The answer is right in the text. That's always where the answer is. <laughs> in these three words, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Paul is not rejoicing of Getting a beaten is not rejoicing in the beating in itself. Is rejoicing of what the beating produces. Is rejoicing in what comes out of the sufferings he's having and is going through. I'm rejoicing in the suffering for yourself, for your sake. Excuse me. Look at the fruit. It produces something. He does not rejoice just because he's putting into jail and all of this. He's rejoicing because suffering. For him means more people getting saved. Suffering for him means more mouths worshiping the Lord Almighty. And when you look at what your suffering produces, you can say, I rejoice in this. I don't like to be punched and being thrown to jail. I don't like that. But I rejoice in what the suffering is producing for your sake. The reality is that 
If Paul had refused to suffer, he will not have come to Ephesus and preached the gospel. If Paul didn't come to Ephesus and preach the gospel, Epaphras will not have heard the gospel and convert and came to Christ. And if Epaphras had not heard the gospel, he would not have gone to the Colossians and preached the gospel to them. And a church will not have existed in Colossians. And we will not be studying this letter this very morning for our own exhortation. His suffering is producing something. And that's the produce of what his suffering is Doing that he can rejoice. I can rejoice because the eternal fruit is worthy of my light, temporary affliction. Paul said you can rejoice in your suffering when you're suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because people are coming to Christ through it. Is this your heart this morning? And right in the beginning you can say, Lord, help us. (laughs) It's hard to rejoice when you suffer. It's hard to rejoice when you're sick. And Paul is not saying that it's easy. But he's saying that it is worth it. His point is that when you consider the salvation of sinners and the glory of God as more precious than your own life, you are enabled to rejoice in your suffering. It can be reduced to this. It is worth it. Losing my hurtly vessel to win souls and gain Christ is totally worth it. I will always remember one morning during my time in Oakville, there was a baptism services that morning. And I came to church, and I was a mess because I was going through a, a really hard season in my life. And I came to church that morning, and, and as every time during a baptism testimony, I began to, to cry just listening to lives change for the glory of God. And when Pastor Robbie came up front, he was also crying. <laughs> and look at the people in, uh, that were just um, baptized. And he said, Look at this. He said, look at this. All those lives changed for the glory of God. And all the lives that has been changed for the glory of God since the, be- since the beginning of Harvest Oakville. All the lives changed be- uh, by the glory of God and for His glory through all the church plan that came out of Harvest Oakville. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, no wonder it is so hard. No wonder it is so hard. This ministry is so hard. Preaching the gospel is so hard. Talking to the people around us and suffering for people's sake is so hard. But it is so worth it. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit it produces. No wonder it is so hard. But it is so worth it. And when it comes to your personal life, how do you take opposition or rejection or insults or suffering for the sake of of Christ and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the lost. Yes, it's easy to rejoice afterward. We read the Bible so often and we see all those stories where God was at work and we think about Joseph and, and the issue of this old story and we're like, oh, it was so worth it. But while he was in it, I don't know what we would have said during the suffering. It's always during the suffering that it's hard. You're going through a hard season, and it's hard to see the end of it. You don't know what will come out of it. But this morning, I want to encourage you. Something good will come out of it. Your suffering is producing something. In fact, Paul, even in in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, says that your suffering is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory in heaven. Amen. Your suffering is producing something. Rejoice in it. I know it's not easy, but it's possible because you know that something good will come out of it. It's hard right now. And, and I'm talking from a position of something that 
of someone that has his share in suffering. We will not begin to do a competition of who suffered the most in this place. Uh, but we all suffered in so many ways. And we are suffering right now from the hardship of church planting. And many of you know what it means. We are serving in a place in Quebec where no one wants to hear about the word of God. When they want to have their own truth and they, want, they don't want anything to do with, with organized religion and with churches and with Jesus. And you're there preaching the gospel and calling people to come to him. We know what it is. I know what it is to suffer. I know that maybe you're in, in it right now and you're thinking, nobody can know exactly. I know we cannot know exactly what you in your specific situation are going through. But believe with me. Believe with me that something good will come out of it because God says it and he is not a man to lie. He is faithful. Believe with me that he is truthful and trustworthy and he will make something good come out of it. Amen. It's preparing something. So rejoice. I love the story of Joseph, like I said, because it's, it's the best example of what suffering can produce. It's so hard to see the issue when you're right in it. But be patient. You just don't know. In the last year, I saw so many things in which during the year, I was complaining. <laughs> Are you sinners? I am. <laughs> I was complaining. And I was saying, why is it going this way? Why is it so hard in this sphere of my life? Why is this thing going that way? It's so hard. But at some point, the Lord is just revealing you these things. Something happened and you're like, Okay, I understand why it was so hard. I understand why we were going through that season. It was for this good and for this good. We are so not patient in our world. It's even worse today. Maybe in this very moment you're thinking, I have no clue what kind of suffering are linked with talking about Christ and, and sharing the gospel. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you right now and say, maybe it's time to... To get your boots on and get into the mission that God has called you to do. If you don't know the sufferings of sharing the gospel with someone, just open your mouth. Honestly, go to your workplace and begin to talk about Jesus to someone. And you will quickly know what the joy of sufferings are. And it's great. Maybe the Lord is calling you to begin to do what he called you to do. Now the question that is burning the lips of all the Bible students right now is... What? There was something lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Why is Paul saying that what is lacking to the suffering of Christ he is, he is uh, um, filling and he is uh, accomplishing and doing? I love uh, this passage because we don't want to skip over any parts of the Bible. And in your church, I know your pastor is like that also. We don't want to just preach what pleases us. And we will see that in the next point. But... The first thing we need to understand with that and to be sure that we get is what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that the, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was incomplete. It does not mean that Jesus went on the cross, he said, it is finished. It doesn't mean that it was a lie. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't accomplish our full salvation on the cross. He did. He saved us. And nobody will come after him 
to suffer in our place and to take the punishment for our sin. He did it completely. It doesn't mean that. And, and Paul is saying that and explaining this truth in many of his letters. But just here in Colossians, we see it in verse 20 of chapter 1. We see it in chapter 2, verse 15. When he talks about Jesus triumphing over all dominion and, and powers and domination and authorities. And all of this was done only by the cross. So what he's saying here, and I love how John Piper explains it. When he says that what is lacking to the afflictions of Christ is the display of it. What is lacking to the afflictions of Christ is the display. The gospel message is proclaimed visibly when we suffer to bring it to the people. It is a testimony to the ultimate suffering of our Savior. Remember what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road when he met with Christ. Jesus talked to him and what did he say to him? He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And while Paul was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Christ. His body. And now Paul is on the other side of this equation. And now he is preaching the gospel. And he is suffering for the sake of Christ. So he is now a demonstration of the suffering of Christ for the lost people. So what is lacking is the display of the suffering of Christ to the people around us. The body of Christ is Christ's visible representation on earth. And when we suffer, we are a demonstration to the people of what Christ did to save us. So the gospel become a display of the suffering of Christ. So um, let's imitate Paul in all of this. To see the gospel spread to all and reach more people. Let's be ready to suffer joyfully. And I'm not just talking about rejoicing when you knock your feet on a table and saying, oh, I need to, to rejoice in that, in that suffering. No, when you suffer for the sake of God's people and for the sake of the advancement of his gospel, open your mouth and you will discover what it is. Let's live a life of joyful sacrifice. That's the first characteristic of Paul's ministry. Look at the second one, verse 25 to 27. A faithful minister of Christ lives a life of faithful proclamation. He's continuing here saying, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To what? To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Another extremely important characteristic of a faithful minister of Christ is that he preaches the whole word of God. When you talk to people, you're not supposed to hide some part. Preach the whole word of God. Paul says that the charge God gave him towards the church is to proclaim the word of God in its totality. Not uh, to make it fully known. The whole word of God. Not to make it partly known. Not to make it what people want to hear known. Not, 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 not to preach just the part that is pleasing to him also, but to be, to make the word of God fully known. Not what is socially acceptable. And, and, and in our society today, in our world today, isn't that what we are going through right now? People just putting the word of God aside. Just saying we don't want to do anything with that. You know what? I, I don't want to, um, um, to bring you sadness, but the truth is that it happens in many churches. A lot of people are just putting the word of God aside and begin to preach their own wisdom, their own visions. And just begin to preach just things that will entertain people and keep them coming. I don't want to be too rough 
with you people because I want you to come back next week. I want you to love me and think I'm a funny pastor and I'm, I'm a good guy and you will love to take a coffee with me sometimes. So I don't want to be too rough. That is not being faithful to God. We need to take his word and preach it as it is. Yes, with love, but the truth nonetheless. In our society where truth has been emptied of its meaning, the word truth doesn't exist for many people. We have our own truth. And what, what does it produce? We see it. We drain sin like water. We are entertaining sin more than ever before. We are rejoicing and celebrating sin more than ever before. In our society today, there's more confusion than ever about issues that were never even discussed before. Things that were so simple and so natural. And now we're coming against it and, and we are so confused. In a world that is rejecting the truth so much, what it needs the most is the truth. We need to bring the truth to people. We need to talk about sin. We need to talk about how men are guilty of sin and needs a savior. When you talk to people about Christ, don't hide the dark part. It is the dark part that are making the good news look so good. Don't hide the fact that people in front of you are sinners and in needs of grace. If they don't hear that, how come they will say, I need a savior? <laughs> they need to hear the whole truth. And truth is needed more than ever right now. Look at Peter at Pentecost. Sometimes we think that we need to dilute the word of God, to dilute the gospel and preach something else. But Peter is there standing in front of the people at Pentecost and preaching the word of God. And if you go and look at his little excerpt from the sermon we have in the Bible, we see so many references to the Old Testament. He is preaching the word of God. And what's the effect? People are, are not affected. People think Peter is funny. The word of God says that they were cut to the heart. There was pain, but a pain that led them to salvation. We want that. If you are in pain today after listening to the sermon and it brings you to Christ, I will always rejoice for that pain. We need to preach the whole word of God and not hide any part. The word of God is sufficient to change lives. We believe it is the authority that God has given us on this earth. And here Paul points uh, point us to the core, the center of God's message. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The center of God's message is Christ. He says that it was hidden for ages and generations. That message was a mystery hidden for generations and ages. But now he's revealed to all his saints and it's Christ. Christ in you. He's talking to the Colossians. Christ in you, Colossians. Christ in the Gentiles. Christ to all nations as promised to Abraham. And when we take the Bible and we begin to read it and to, to see uh, the, the, the tread of the Lamb of God in the Bible, we see that that message was hidden for generations. But how powerful it has been revealed to us in the New Testament. You begin in the Garden of Eden with the first sin. What did God do for Adam and Eve after the first sin? He covered them with an animal skin. Blood has been spilled to cover their sin. And after that, you see that Adam and Eve has taught something to their son because Abel is coming before the Lord and to please him, he's offering a sacrifice of the firstborn of his flock. And God accepted it. And after that, you go to Abraham where God says, you will need someone else to die in your place. You will need a, a lamb to die 
in your place. And in the story where Abraham goes and, and goes to sacrifice his own son, there was no lamb that appeared in the story. What's the name of the animal that appeared? A ram. A ram appeared, but never a lamb. But God said, you will need a substitute. And you go to Moses, and Moses is told to uh, sacrifice a lamb for every firstborn of every Hebrew's family. You know, in that story with the Egyptians, we often think that the, 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 the death that God was sending was only for the Egyptians. But it was not only for the Egyptians. It was for everyone, even the Hebrew's family. But God gave them a solution. God said, an innocent victim, a lamb, a perfect lamb will die in your place. So you'll be saved. And after that you go to Isaiah chapter 53 and you see that a man will come and pay for our sin. And he will die for us. He will be pierced and he will suffer and he will bear our sin. And he will be delivered like a silent lamb. To the slaughtered. And you go back to John chapter 1, verse 29, and you see John the Baptist when Jesus comes to him to be baptized, looking at Jesus, and he says, Here, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the center of this message from the beginning of time, he is the core of the message we need to preach to people. We need to preach Christ. Paul says that this mystery was hidden through ages, but now is revealed to his people. Today you cannot say, I never heard of that. You just heard of it. Jesus came and died for your sin. Believe in him and be saved. Trust in him and live. Don't wait for later. He is our Savior. And he paid a high price to redeem us. That was the hidden message in the Bible. And it's revealed to us. And that's the center. The Old Testament always pointed to the coming of Jesus. The New Testament revealed the saving work of Jesus. And him we must preach. Do you know him? If yes. If you do know Jesus Christ. Your lips shall be burning with desire to talk about him. How can you know the way of salvation and keep it to yourself? A faithful minister of Christ needs to live a life of faithful proclamation. Declaring the whole word of God and not just part. Jesus is the true life. And if you believe in him, you can be saved. Don't wait today. If, if, if you're hearing this for the first time or maybe the first time the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart. The life you're looking for, the good life is really Jesus Christ. He's your creator. He knows what you were created for. Come to him this morning. If something happened in your heart this morning, I don't want to leave this place like you came. Just go and talk to someone you trust. Talk to someone. Say something's happening. I want to know more about this Christ. Please pray with me and ask him. The third thing we see about a faithful minister of Christ is in verse 28. So look in your Bible at verse 28. A faithful minister of Christ lives a life of solid multiplication. He says, Him we proclaim, Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Again, did you notice the repetition? Everyone, everyone, everyone. 
Here the scholars think that Paul is referring to the false teachers and their false teaching. While they, they, they were saying to the church in Colossae that um, if you uh, try this new way of life, if you adopt our new uh, cult and our new tradition, and if you apply this rule and this rule, you will have greater knowledge and you will truly be closer to the divine. If you go, yeah, Christ is good. But not that much. You need something other than Christ to go closer to God and to grow. But Paul is saying, no, everyone, everyone needs to grow in Christ. Everyone needs to be warned and everyone needs to be present before Christ's mature. So Paul put a clear emphasis on the fact that spiritual growth is not reserved to an elite group, but to everyone. Listen to me. I know there's young people in this place this morning, young kids. You listen to me right now. You are also called to grow in Christ. Not just your parents. You don't have to wait until you are 20 years old to grow in Christ. You can grow in Christ right now. God is calling every one of us who are believers in Christ to grow. Let me ask you this. Look back to the last year. Can you see growth in your spiritual life? I know that we are not all growing at the same rhythm. But do you see growth in your life? Because all of the children of God are supposed to grow in Him. One of the saddest things that can happen to a church is when we seek a quantity of disciples instead of a quality of them. When we just seek to fill some chairs. When we don't seek to make people really understand the Bible. I don't know for you, but I come from a Catholic background. I grew up in Quebec, so almost everyone is Catholic. And the thing that was... Uh, told, not to me, but to my grandparents, is that you cannot read the Bible or you will become crazy. So they were limited to listen to only the priest and, and some people that were talking about God and explaining the Bible in their own way. But praise God for those who translated the Bible in our own language. We all need to read the Word of God for ourselves and we need to grow in Christ, each one of us. It's not reserved for an elite group. One of the saddest things is when you don't focus on growing disciples, when you just want to do church to bring more people in and build a, a company or something like that. Because you're not equipping the Christian to face temptation. You're not equipping the Christian to face false doctrines. You're not equipping the Christian to face hardship in their lives when you don't preach and don't make them grow and understand theology better. And the apostle here is showing us that a faithful minister of Christ should give to the new believer a total spiritual investment seeking a total transformation. Look here, his ministry is not only to proclaim the gospel, but to warn everyone and to teach everyone in all wisdom. This is the role of the preacher when he gets up in front of the church and preach the whole word of God so that people may grow in truth. This is the role of um, the church and its member in discipleship classes and all of this. This is the job of every Christian to teach the people you bring to Christ in your neighborhood when you talk to someone. Are you just thinking like the, the old way of thinking sometimes? I will talk about Jesus to my boss or to my co-workers or to my neighbor. And then I will bring them to, to church for someone else to take care of him and for them to grow in the church. It's good. We need to grow in church, in the community. But you have a responsibility. You're not called to just throw the word of God like that and leave. You're called to take time with people and invest in them and see them grow in Christ. And maybe some of you are thinking, okay, Paul is talking about his ministry in this verse. Talking, Paul is talking about himself. 
that he is uh, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom. But look with me at chapter 3, verse 16. He's saying the exact same thing to every Christian. It's almost the exact same sentence, word for word. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. <laughs> exactly, almost exactly the same thing. We are all called to participate in that thing to make others grow in Christ. The work is not done after someone got baptized. It's a great thing and we rejoice for baptism, but the work is not done after someone make a, uh, do just a prayer. When someone just say, I accept Jesus in my heart as my Savior and Lord. And yes, job done. I can put a star of Christian accomplishment on my chest and say, I did my work. No, you need to invest in them. You need to pray with them. You need to walk with them. Paul is giving us three things in which we should um, take in consideration when we want to make a disciple. Uh, he says, warning everyone, teaching everyone, and in all wisdom. Warning everyone is the negative side of discipleship. In the sense that it is giving warning to people on what not to do. Warning people of the danger they can, um, they can came across in the Christian life. It's to protect them from the danger. It's walking side by side. It's close to the word exhortation or encouragement. It's being present. It's loving them enough to give them the watch out as well as the good job, keep it going. He says also teaching everyone. And we need to give content. Deeply rooted theology will keep us in time of pain and suffering. And you know what? Theology is so important. There's nothing that will fuel your worship as much as knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is loving him. The more you come to know him and see his perfection and his excellence, the more you come to love him and you want to worship him. Theology will fuel your worship. You need to give content. You need to think about uh, them going to teach that to others after. And in all wisdom, I put it apart because we can easily just teach stuff to people without teaching them how to use it. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge you acquired. Wisdom is when you receive uh, knowledge, when you receive theology, and you just say, you know, we can have a big head saying, I know all the doctrines, just ask me, I will explain to you everything. But when it doesn't go to your heart and it doesn't uh, do anything in your life, when you take the Bible just as a, a textbook and a, and, and a theory book, it doesn't help anyone. You need to put it in practice. All of this word has been written for us to apply and to do something with it. So, warning everyone, teaching everyone, and in all wisdom, that makes you want to more than just invite people to church. That makes you want to invite them in your living room. That makes you want to invite them for a dinner and pour out your heart in front of them about this amazing Lord that you came to know. Talking about how awesome your God is and, and His power and what He can do in our lives. That makes you want to make people grow. And the last thing we see in this verse is that He is talking about maturity and presenting people and what he's talking about is uh, the word mature here is translated in other version by perfect to present everyone perfect but the real word in the greek will be right in between those two words douglas mood a commentator on this um, book says that the word mature is too weak and the word perfect is too strong but we can say safely that the goal is to always grow in spiritual maturity, aiming to perfection that we will attain only in heaven. 
I repeat that. The goal is to always grow in spiritual maturity, aiming to perfection that we will attain only in heaven. The simple truth is that a Christ follower always grow. So how is your walk with the Lord doing? Maybe you look back and say, I cannot see how I changed in the past year. I cannot see the work of, of sanctification in my own life. And listen, we don't look at other people around you and saying, it seems to grow so fast and, and not me. Don't compare yourself to others. We all grow at our own rhythm. I had a young guy came in to me one day and he was struggling with that. He looked at his previous, uh, this last year and he said, I don't see any growth in my life. I'm just struggling so much. I was struggling with this sin at the beginning of the year and I'm still struggling with this sin so much right now. And he was even doubting his own salvation. And I took time with him just to point him to some things that changed in his life. But firstly, I said, you know what? The thing that I see that you are growing in Christ is that you are struggling with sin. Because the world is not struggling with sin. Non-believers are not struggling with sin. The Bible says that they drink it like water. But when you are a Christian, you are, you are in a fight. So if you are in a fight today, and if you're saying, I struggle so much with this, and I'm so eager to get rid of this sin in my life, you're in a good place. It's when you stop fighting that you're in a bad place. But talk to people. Talk to your leaders. Talk to brothers and sisters in the church. Ask them if they saw a change in your life in the last year. It's not a bad thing to do that. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing to ask for wisdom. We all grow in Christ, but not at the same rhythm. So Paul is living a life of solid multiplication. We need to pray. And I don't know when was the last time that you spent the whole night crying and not sleeping because you knew that you had a, a co-worker that doesn't know the Lord. Or the last time that you were not sleeping because you know that a brother or a sister in the church is struggling with his faith because of this misunderstanding of the word of God. And you're just fighting the whole night going through the word of God and seeking for an answer and seeking to help that people. That's the heart we are supposed to have. We are supposed to care about the body of Christ so much as to be able to not sleep sometime just in prayer for them. We need to care. And the last thing is a life of devoted dependency. Verse 29, Paul says that for this I told, okay, uh, preaching the word of God faithfully, suffering for the sake of the salvation of many, seeing people be becoming mature in Christ and growing in Christ. And here is it, for this, for this I told, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The last verse and not the least when it comes to Paul's ministry and his example for us is his dependency upon Christ and his total passion for the kingdom of God. Here the word translated by struggling comes from the Greek word for agony. It talks about the kind of agony an athlete would feel when he's doing extreme effort and he's not even able to continue. Agony. And Paul is comparing his ministry with that saying... I'm giving everything. I'm leaving everything on the table for the sake of the people of God, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of Christ. I'm giving everything I have. I'm giving all efforts. I'm pushing hard to see something happen in the life of the people. He's doing uh, everything with his full energy to the point of agony. And we understand quickly the, the, the concept of extreme effort. And in this, we should see the urgency of fulfilling the ministry of the gospel. When Christ called us to make disciples, 
I come back to the beginning. Do you, life, or do you want your life to count? Your life cost the Savior his life to be able to buy you back to God. Not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. What will you do with this life? We need to feel the urgency. Listen, laziness is not part of the Christian walk. I am sorry, mm, not so much, for breaking that idols in your life maybe. But we need to fight back against laziness. Against being sitting on the, on the status quo and saying, oh, all things. God is so sovereign. He will do it. I don't need to give much effort. He will do it. He is faithful. That is true. But he is faithful to call us into his mission and to equip us to accomplish his mission. He chose us to be participant in this. He decided that we will be people that will go out and talk about him. And make people grow. And we need to be so passionate about that. A, die, a church that is not passionate about Christ and about the mission that Christ has given us is a church that will die. For sure. We need to be passionate about what is the passion of the Lord. Struggling for spreading the fame of God. And here Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said, One of the finest traits in a Christian's character is the deep sorrow which he feels over souls that are being lost. And the great longing of his own soul that men will turn unto God and find peace through Jesus Christ. Paul considered his mission worthy of all efforts and worthy of refusing a laid-back attitude. But we look here in the text and he is leaving everything on the table but he wants to be sure that we understand something. He writes to the Colossians for them to know. And he writes to us for us to know that it is not by his own strength. And that the strength and the energy to accomplish his ministry is not coming from his own determination. Look at the text. He says, for this I told, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I give everything for the sake of the gospel. But do not be confused. It's not because of my own power. It's because of Christ's power within me. It's, it's like when you read that text. It's like you, you can see Paul being amazed at, at, at the work of Christ inside of himself. He works with his powerful energy within me. And he works it powerfully. It's, it's so good. It's not mine. It's his. He is so dependent upon God. And sometimes we are in this kind of place. And, and, and I'm closing with that. And maybe there's many people in this place uh, thinking that they are not able to go on. And Paul talks about agony. That's not a weak word. Do you know what? I think Paul was sometimes really struggling and really thinking about his own fate and about his own walk and should I continue this? But he rejoices in the suffering because he knows what it produces. And maybe you're in a place right now where you say, I cannot go on. I know that some people in this place have experienced it. I experienced it. And I'm experiencing it right now, standing in front of you. If it was not from the Lord's energy within me, I will not be standing right here. And some of you are thinking right now, I will give up. It's enough. I don't have the strength anymore. Okay, I know you're saying that something good will come out of it. But it's been a long time now. 
It's been a long time and I'm not seeing anything coming out of this situation. My strength are fading. I cannot continue. Some of you have come to church not running this morning. Some of you came here and it was hard. But you are here and the Lord wants to encourage you and say, don't go through this alone. I want to provide for your strength. I want to provide for your, uh, the, the energy that you need to go through this thing. You will see something good coming out of the other side. The Lord tells us in John 15, 5, that without him we can do nothing. And that's the dependency of Paul here. He's not saying he can do this. He cannot. Without Christ we can do nothing. But in the same verse it says that with him, if we abide in him, we can bear fruit. No, it says that we can bear much fruit if we abide in Christ. So brothers and sisters, keep going on. Keep, keep pressing on. For, for uh, Joseph, as we talked earlier, it was hard to see the outcome. And it was for many years. But the outcome was good because he was walking with the Lord. So what does it mean? It means pray. Go to him every day. Be filled with the power of God. Ask him to strengthen you. And he is faithful to do it. Amen. He is faithful to sustain us. So go to him being dependent. Paul's ministry and the way he lived his life for the kingdom of God is a powerful example for us to imitate. So let's do it. Let's live a life of joyful sacrifices. Let's live a life of faithful proclamation. Of, of solid multiplication and of devoted dependency. And as we will pray, I just... Ask that you will consider this text and just evaluate your life and think, Lord, talk to me. Help me. Help me to rewind this. To rewind to make my life count for your kingdom and not waste it. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We don't take it for granted. Father, thank you for saving us and bringing us in this place this morning. And I want to take some time to pray for the people that, that came here this morning not knowing anything about the gospel. Maybe someone came here this morning thinking he knew about the gospel and, and didn't. Father, I pray for salvation. I pray that you will change your life, that you will change your heart in this place. That you will take, like you did with my own life, that you will take a vile person and change that person and fill them you know, or her with life and that you will use that life to glorify you and to spread the fame of your name here in Ottawa. Father, I pray for my Christians, brothers and sisters, that we will be a body that represents who you are to the world, that we will not live for ourselves, that we will not just take you as a plus in our life, saying we need just one more thing to be happy, one thing to add on our shelves of happiness, but we will live our whole life for you and for you alone. Father, it's hard. It, it, it includes sufferings. It includes being rejected. It includes living the hard life and taking the path that is hardest. But you are totally worth it. Take our lives. We want to honor you with the new life you gave us. Take our life and make it count for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's stand and respond in worship. declare that he is worth it all. 
reaching out for more. You're the promise never failing. You are my reward. You are my to have all of you and no matter what the cost I will follow you Jesus everything I've lost I have found in you when I finally reach the end I'll say you are worth it to have all 
Amen. Father, we start by saying that you are everything for us. And we close by saying you, in the end, we'll say you are worth it all. And that is not a, a small thing. We truly believe that, that we will have no regrets at the end of having lived a life fully dedicated to you. We love you, Lord. Hear our heart this morning. We love you and you are totally worth it. Father, we have this day in head. Please let us make, uh, let, let us live a life that is just thinking about the end day. Paul says that the goal of growing in you is to present you, to present you, every Christian mature one day. It's the end. We want to call people to worship the Lamb of the throne at the last day. Father, I thank you that you brought us all here together this morning. I pray that you will keep every one of us just singing that song in the, week, in the week to come. That you are worth it all. Whatever comes in our weeks this week, whatever comes in our life, that we will continue to sing that you are worth it all. We will not clench. We will not abandon. We will not turning back. We will continue to press on because you are worth it. We believe that. You are good and we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. This morning you came here and you received a little connection card. Please fill this card. Uh, there's a team of leader and Pastor Ray will pray over every one of these requests during the week. If you want to give thanks to the Lord for something he did in your life, write it on this card also. It's so great and encouraging for the leadership team to know that, uh, team to know that uh, God is doing a work in your life and that you are uh, in fact growing in him. Um, so fill this card and, uh, and ask for prayer. So you can stay. There will be some people praying uh, up front. If you need some prayer, if you want to talk about something or anything, just come up front and some people will pray for you and know that you are so loved. Have a good day.